Good morning, church family. Let's give our praise team a round of applause. Those guys work effort, tirelessly and with lots of effort. I was going to say effortless, effortlessly, but that would have combined two terms that wouldn't have accurately depicted what those guys do every week. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. If you got your WFR Church app, I'm going to be uh, moving through some Old and New Testament scriptures. They're all going to be listed for you on our church app. If you got your Bible handy today, be ready uh, to flip around and hear from the Lord this morning. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Christmas season is here. Can I get an amen? amen? Oh, come on now. I said Christmas season is here. Let me get an amen, church family. But perhaps some of you... Uh, don't start celebrating Christmas this early. If so, that's okay. Where are my other people at that celebrate Christmas early? We got some Christmas decor up. We've been listening to some Christmas music. These, these people with their hands up, ladies and gentlemen, are true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright? It's never too early to celebrate Christmas. Uh, Christmas time is the time that we recognize and remember the moment that Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior of the entire world, came to earth. What a cause to celebrate. But what does that actually mean, that Jesus came here? And how do you and I know that He was here? And how do we know that He was the Messiah? And how do we come to believe everything about Him that we've come to believe? Well, the simplest answer, and you know the song, is we believe because... The Bible tells us so. For years, I've wanted to do a series that looks at the Old Testament prophecies that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ fulfilled. Let me give you some information about that. In the Encyclopedia of Bible Prophecy, the Complete Guide to Scriptural Predictions and Their Fulfillment, J. Barton Payne identifies that there are 127 personal messianic predictions in the scriptures that involve 348 verses that record the characteristics of the Messiah. Uh, Alfred Edersheim, uh, in the book Prophecy and History in Relation to the Messiah, notes that in 558 writings in pre-Christian times and in 456 Old Testament passages, we find reference to the Messiah or Messianic times. That's a lot of information, ladies and gentlemen. And let me just say that the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled every single Old Testament Messianic prophecy. The Lord Jesus Christ is the expected once and for all King of kings and Lord of lords. At Whitesbury Road, this is the reason we celebrate. This is the reason we're excited. This is the reason Christmas has meaning. And isn't there a lot over the holiday season that can focus our attention on something other than the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me give you some statistics about Thanksgiving first. Because some of you guys won't start celebrating Christmas until you've made it through the Thanksgiving holiday. 395 is the number of years ago that the first Thanksgiving took place in November in 1621. 
The pilgrims and Wampanoag Indians gathered at Plymouth mostly to feast on seafood, not turkey. $48.97 is the average cost of a Thanksgiving Day feast for 10 people, according to the American Farm Bureau Federation. I feel like if I'm being honest, that's probably the cost of my personal Thanksgiving feast. Those of you who know me know I like to eat. How about this? 34,760 pounds is the amount of turkey that troops and civilians stationed overseas will eat on Thanksgiving. That's in addition to 32,000 pounds of beef, 24,000 pounds of ham, 28,000 pounds of shrimp, 9,000 pounds of stuffing, and 879 gallons of eggnog. That's according to Pentagon spokesman Peter Cook. What a fitting last name. 45 million is the number of turkeys killed every year for Thanksgiving, according to PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Figured you'd like that. 4,500, listen to this. According to the Calorie Control Council, that's the number of calories in a typical Thanksgiving meal, including appetizers, drinks, and desserts. 32 miles is the number of miles an American male would have to run to burn off those 4,500 calories. Running one mile 11 every 11 minutes means you'd have to run a full marathon and almost the entire next day, and you still probably wouldn't burn off all the calories you consume on Thanksgiving. In terms of Christmas, listen to this. Just a couple of quick facts. Americans will buy 27 million real Christmas trees over the Christmas season. Another show of hands, where are my real Christmas tree people at? God bless you. God bless you, ladies and gentlemen. We have a, uh, a fake tree with fake lights that makes our lives easier, but you guys are the real Christmas spirit sacrificial servants. 46% of people will actually, and I'm interested in the show of hands on this because we're being honest today. 46% of people will lie about liking a Christmas gift. If that's you, if you've ever done that, raise your hand. I lied about liking a Christmas gift during the season we're supposed to be celebrating Jesus. Lord, help us all. How about this? The average household will spend around $1,500 on the Christmas holiday, about $500 on gifts, close to 1000 on food, clothing, entertainment, and decorations. Some of us can feel that pressure, can't we? of Americans will buy their gifts, I'd like to see a show of hands with this too, their gifts one week before Christmas, 62% of Americans. If you're the one week before Christmas shopper, let me see it. Okay, you guys got to do a better job of getting out there and getting the job done a little bit faster. Spouses though, here you go, spend on average $123 on one another. $123. So, Kirsten, you can remember that. Uh, I like coffee and I like food, okay? Church family, with so much to focus on, what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, what gift we're going to purchase for our loved ones and friends, with so much to focus on, I don't want you to lose your focus on the one thing that matters. This Christmas season. Church family, in every moment, in every season, you and I should strive to see Jesus 
Every moment of every season, every day of our lives. And we should strive to be seen as an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every season, every moment, we should develop the capacity to look and see what Jesus is doing in our lives. And we should try to be seen as Jesus in the lives of the people that we're around. This holiday season... During Thanksgiving and Christmas, would you please strive to do that? It's truly not a time to eat food and purchase gifts. That's a part of the season, but that's not our main focus. Let's keep focused on the main thing, the reason for the season, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You might write this name down in your notes. Brother Lawrence was a young man, feeling hopeless and helpless in life. And one fall, he was sitting on a park bench. He noticed a tree. Void of leaves and void of any other form of life. He thought to himself how that tree would change in the spring. It would eventually become vibrant, alive itself, and full of life. In that moment, Brother Lawrence experienced a move of God's grace and His glory. He later entered a monastery thinking that that would be the way He could pledge his life to serving such a powerful, awesome, and mighty God. And when he did, he was assigned kitchen duty for the rest of his life. Over the course of time, despite a tedious amount of chores and cooking and cleaning, at the constant bidding of his superiors, he developed the spiritual practice of sensing God's presence every moment of his life. In his book, Practicing the Presence of God, he says, I began to live as if there was no one on earth other than God and me. And as often as I could, I placed myself as a worshiper before him, fixing my mind upon his holy presence and recalling it whenever I found myself wandering from him. This proved to be an exercise frequently painful Yet I persisted through all difficulties and learned the discipline of practicing the presence of God in life. Church family, this is the duty of our lives. To practice God's presence, to see Jesus in every moment and be seen as an ambassador of Jesus in every moment. And that's also our duty as we read the Holy Scriptures. Every single word and verse and chapter and book of the Word of God points us and teaches us about and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Many times in the New Testament, Jesus and His followers reason with the unconverted through the Scriptures. And that's done to show people that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's what we're going to spend the next few weeks doing at White's Ferry Road is studying the Scriptures and learning without any doubt that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Let me give you an example of when that happens in the text. Luke 24, I'm going to start in verse 25. Jesus is speaking here and he says this, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said, listen to this, in all the scriptures concerning himself. The context of this section of scripture is that Jesus has been crucified. Some women have visited the tomb. They found the stone rolled away and the tomb was empty. They hurry back to tell the others what they had seen. Two of Jesus' disciples were headed to a place called Emmaus, which was a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem. And they were talking about everything that had happened. Can you imagine that conversation? As they were on that seven-mile journey, Jesus himself comes up and walks along with them, but he kept them from recognizing him. He asks them what they were discussing, and they stand still, and their faces are downcast. And they seem totally shocked and surprised that he doesn't know what's been happening in Jerusalem. They go on to describe Jesus as a prophet who was powerful in word and deed. They tell him that the tomb was empty, and then Jesus interrupts them. Jesus says, how foolish you have been not to be able to recognize all that the law of Moses and the prophets teach you about the Messiah, that he should suffer and then enter into his glory. How could you not have seen? How could you not have known? How could your heart not have been transformed beyond a shadow of a doubt? And when I've taught this in the past, and I'm going to chase a rabbit trail here for a moment, I've always been struck And how Jesus kept himself hidden from these guys when he first encounters them on the road to Emmaus. But I really think that this is the way Jesus, by the power of his spirit, works in our lives today. You see, if Jesus made himself known, it would be easy to stop holding on to his hand. If we could see Jesus' hand on us, we may be willing to let go of our grasp on His hand. And so often in life, Jesus keeps us from seeing His hand on us, so we have to keep holding His hand with ours. If God feels distant, if it feels like He's not hearing you, if it feels like He's not working in your situation, keep clinging to His hand. Keep trusting Keep standing because I promise you, He is with you, He is guiding you, and He is helping you. Just because you can't feel His hand on you, doesn't mean His hand is not upon you. But today I want you to notice what He talks about with these disciples. He starts with Moses, that would be the first five books of the Old Testament. Then He goes into all the prophets. And he explains what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Everything pointed to him. Jesus fulfilled every Old Testament messianic prophecy. Every scripture points to Jesus as the king of kings. And this church family is how we know that Jesus is the Messiah, the savior of the world. That's how we know. And that's the method... His followers used to teach people this truth about him. In Acts chapter 17, we get a great example of this. 
Starting in verse 2, the Bible records, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus, says Paul, I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Hallelujah. The context for these verses is that Paul and Barnabas have attended the Council of Jerusalem. That's in Acts 15. You need to know that. Because in Acts 15, the Jewish apostles and elders write a letter clarifying that Gentile converts should be welcomed into the family of God and not required to obey all the Jewish laws and customs. It's typical here for a preacher to make a joke about how painful a conversion would have been if each person had to follow the Mosaic law of circumcision. Um, They only asked Gentile Christians as of Acts 15 not to eat food polluted by idols, to abstain from sexual immorality, not to eat the meat of a strangled animal, and to stay away from blood. This was a world-changing letter that the elders sent Paul and Barnabas with. Paul and Barnabas end up parting company. Paul and a man named Silas go on Paul's second missionary journey. Paul has just healed a slave woman who was possessed by an impure spirit. As a result, he was put into prison and he has miraculously been set free by the power of God. As that happens, he baptizes the prison guards and by Acts 17, at the point of our text, he has reached Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, Paul here is preaching a sermon series over the span of a few weeks. I've wondered what he might call this particular sermon series. Maybe he would say, Church, I want to teach you a series called Jesus from Genesis to Malachi. Maybe he'd say, So close and yet so far, how all of you seem to have missed the Savior of the world's presence here on earth. Whatever he would call this sermon series, Paul spent time persuading, explaining, and proving that Jesus was the Messiah from the Holy Scriptures. He didn't just read them. He tried to persuade, explain, and prove by using illustration, no doubt atmosphere, emotion, example, and argument. This is part of why we do what we do when we gather together and worship God. We want to persuade. We want to prove that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We want to influence people to change their life in response to the gospel. So we live and we worship corporately and we teach and evangelize and spread the gospel Because we want people to know that Jesus is Lord. By the grace of God working on the hearts of the hearers of Paul's message. And by the grace of God working in and through Paul, some of the Jews were persuaded. In addition, so were a large number of God-fearing Greeks, along with quite a few prominent women. I wonder why those that missed Jesus as the Messiah missed it. No doubt so many were looking for a conqueror, for a powerful ruler who would make life 
easier, who would free them from pain, a powerful ruler who would set them free from slavery and all hardship. And so many times in life, that's the kind of Messiah we're looking for. We're looking for a God who can improve our quality of life, make us comfortable, wealthy, or popular. Thanksgiving and Christmas won't be joyful because of how much food we eat. The holidays won't be satisfying because of the gifts we give or receive. The end of the year season isn't special because of naps, time off work, football games, friends or family. If you and I are looking for joy in those things, ladies and gentlemen, we, were go- we are going to fall short. We must look for joy and satisfaction in the true meaning of the season. The Lord Jesus. Now in this series, we're going to look at specific Old Testament prophecies that teach us and prove to us who Jesus is and give us a sense of His character. Because the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus do both. They confirm Jesus is the once and only King of kings and Lord of lords, King forever, Lord always, and they give us a sense of His character, of His identity, of His personhood. And today we're going to talk about the Messiah as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. We don't often think about that when we celebrate Christmas. That by coming to earth, Jesus signed his death warrant. The most famous passage of scripture that teaches us that the Messiah would suffer is found starting in Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 13. The prophet Isaiah is speaking the words of God. And starting in verse 13, he says, God to his people says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up, highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. The servant of God who would be raised and lifted up, who would be highly exalted, would also be marred and beaten. His appearance would be disfigured, so much so that he's almost unrecognizable as a human. The next chapter in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 4, God says, Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I want you to highlight or underline or both the last part of verse 6. The iniquity of us all. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the suffering servant, the sacrifice for the transgressions and sins of mankind was a sacrifice for everyone throughout the history of the world. It was a sacrifice for all. This makes Jesus Christ the Savior of the whole world, past, present, and future. There is no sin that Jesus cannot set you free from. There is no life that is too dark. There is no illness that is too depressed. There is no person that's been too destroyed for the love Jesus showed on the cross of Calvary not to save that person and set them free. The Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Hallelujah. I don't have this up on screen, but I want you to write down 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. In the New Testament, John the Revelator puts it like this. He, being Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. John's there referring to people who are Saved people who have been converted, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. He's saying Jesus is the covering. He's the atonement. He's the sacrifice for our sins, but not for our sins only. Not for those of us who have been saved. Not for those of us who have been adopted into the family of God. But He's also the propitiation for the sins of the whole entire World, And if you've heard me teach on this before, I want you to remember repetition is your friend. Can I get an amen there? Nobody learned the multiplication tables the first time y'all heard them. Don't even play like y'all did. The word world in 1 John 2, 2, I love this, is the Greek word cosmos, which is where we get our English word cosmos. Y'all are Greek scholars and didn't even realize it. That means everybody, ladies and gentlemen, every person you meet, anywhere you go, has an option to be saved. Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. He is the Lamb that takes away the sin of every person willing to respond to the gospel. I want you to write down John one twenty nine. John the baptizer is recorded in John one twenty nine as saying... As he sees Jesus coming toward him, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. That's you, that's me, that's our loved ones, that's our friends, that's our family. Jesus takes away our sin because he was the sacrifice for our sin and that was his mission. The mission of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, was not the mission of a king to be worshipped. And my, is he worthy of our worship, admiration, and praise. But Jesus' mission was that of a servant to be sacrificed. If you're like me, you've noticed that on television... There are lots of political ads for people who are campaigning for office. And it's my sense that those men and women run for political office in hopes that eventually they may lead a more comfortable lifestyle or promote a higher standard of living for themselves and their community. And I have the most respect for that. 
It's hard to imagine anyone aspiring to become a ruler if that would mean suffering and sacrifice and eventually agonizing death, right? Surely that's the complete opposite of what motivates us to try to achieve influence in life or, or develop to the point of leader. If what comes with that is death that's agonizing and painful, humiliating, no thanks, some of us or most of us would say. The truth about Christmas and the truth about Jesus, the truth about his arrival here on earth is that it's a mission of death. Of death. Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 11 puts it like this. I don't have this on screen. Jot this down in your notes. The Bible records Jesus being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing and took on the nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, he, be, he became in appearance that of a man and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Isaiah 52. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus' arrival on earth is the beginning of his death sentence. And if it's not comfort that motivated Jesus, if it's not a higher standard of living that motivated Jesus, what is it that motivated him to take the form of a servant? What motivated him to be made in human likeness and humble himself, listen to this church family, to the lowest place? From the highest place, from heaven itself, what motivated him to become obedient to an agonizing, humiliating death, death on the cross of Calvary? Get this. You know what motivated Jesus? It's his love. His love. It's his love for you. And for you. It's His love for you. And for you. It's Jesus' love for you in the back. Right here in the middle and up here on the front. It's love. And when we think about Christmas and the mission of Jesus. And that His arrival here was essentially Him signing His death warrant. We should be moved by the love He showed for us. I'm going back to John 3.16, and you'll know this. And this sums it up. How beautiful are these words. For God so loved the world. You want to know what Greek word John uses there for world? You got it. Cosmos. That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
What we learn based on Old Testament prophecy is that the Messiah would not be a conquering king who's seeking his own comfort and raising his own standard of living, but would be that of a suffering servant who came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. He did this because of his love for you. While you were in darkness, he loved you. If you've been converted, he loves you still, no matter what your future holds, no matter what your secret struggles are, no matter what you do in life, you have been loved. You are loved and you will be loved. Hallelujah. That's the reason we celebrate Christmas. And that's the story of the life of Jesus. Old Testament prophecy clearly, Isaiah 52 and 3, tell us that the mark of the Messiah is service and suffering. It's the attitude, ladies and gentlemen, that God asks our church to demonstrate to the world around us. And what better season than Thanksgiving and Christmas to do that? Can I ask you something? This season, would you be willing to take some time to serve someone? Share some time with someone. Have a conversation with somebody who seems to be lonely or in need. I promise if you're looking, you'll sense that. Give something to someone who doesn't expect it, that seems to need it more than you. Serve somebody, please. And can I ask you one more thing? Would you sacrifice for someone this Christmas season? Stretch yourself a little bit for the good of someone else. Get uncomfortable a little bit for the benefit of your fellow man, regardless of the benefit to you. Practice sacrifice the way Jesus demonstrated and the way he calls us to live. This Christmas season and over Thanksgiving, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to remember you're loved. That's the best news ever. You are loved. So whether you eat 4,500 calories on Thanksgiving Day or almost none, you're loved. Whether you spend $1,500 on the Christmas season or you spend zero, you're loved. Whether or not you have friends and family to celebrate with, or you'll just celebrate the holidays between you and Jesus. You're loved. I want you to remember the true meaning of this time of year as we head into our holiday season. I want you to remember you're loved. I'm going to close. And if you have not allowed the love of God to move your heart and surrender your life to Jesus... After I pray, while our praise team sings the verse of a song, I I beg and challenge you to surrender to Him today. And if you have any other need that the Lord needs to show up and resolve in your life, at at White's Ferry Road, we believe prayer changes things. Can I get an amen? After I pray, while our praise team sings a song, whatever need you have in your life, bring it forward. And for anything else, we want to circle around you, pray over you, and encourage you. 
Because ladies and gentlemen, the king is here. Let's bow. Precious Heavenly Father, we come before you so thankful. That's not even the word that that accurately sums up how we feel. At the love that you demonstrated for us by sending your one and only son to the earth as a suffering, sacrificial servant to die for the sins of the whole world. If there's any here who have not laid their life down in total surrender to you, God, I pray you would just move on their heart and that they would respond. God, I ask if there's any here with a heavy burden that they would come forward today and lay that down. And that they would experience your presence in their life and leave this place today saying, Surely the King of kings and Lord of lords is in this place. We love you, Lord. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.